to Geek Between the Lines, a podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are talking about the theme of class in The Hunger Games and The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Mm-hmm. So to start us out, we have a quote. And this quote comes from the first Hunger Games book when she's thinking about Hida and what he did for her when she was a child. Suddenly, a voice was screaming at me, and I looked up to see the baker's wife telling me to move on, and did I want her to call the peacekeepers, and how sick she was of having those brats from the seam pawing through her trash. The words were ugly, and I had no defense. Yeah, so I think an an interesting quote looking at class because we know compared to the capital, Mm -hmm. all of District 12 is pretty disadvantaged, but within district 12 there are levels and the malarks are not like the mayor's family Mm -hmm. they're probably not like the peacekeepers or other people who are within district 12 having a, a higher socioeconomic status but they're also not people who are dying from starvation in the seam Mm -hmm. they're shop owners but they aren't probably landowners mm-hmm. they're probably they're, they're not really even like a bourgeoisie they're they're still very working class they just happen to be more artisanal and more skilled than most other working class folks in, in district 12 yeah so they benefit from the people who have more money enough money to buy their cakes and their breads and stuff mm-hmm. but as peter said at one point yeah, most of the time, like, they're eating stale bread. They're eating the stuff that didn't sell. So just having it, they never went to bed hungry necessarily in the same way that Katniss did. Or maybe barely. Like, starvation wasn't a daily fear for them mm-hmm. like it was for uh, Katniss's family. And basically, it sounds like everyone in the seam. Yeah. And and you hit on a really good point, which is that the people of the seam and people like the Malarks are much closer together than they may seem in their day-to-day lives, where for Katniss, it seems like Peeta is far removed from her experiences. But when you have the scope of understanding how the capital works and how capital works in this system, you see how there are still these massive class differences that, frankly, put the lower classes against one another. And Peeta's mother's comments about how she hated, yeah, these, which she saw as kind of trash people mm-hmm. coming here from the seam. She is distancing herself from them. She is helping to oppress them, even as she is being oppressed by the same system that oppresses them. Absolutely. Which people do. Totally. In our society. And, and I think it's an interesting look at wherever we are in the United States because it's one thing to be middle class or even working class Mm -hmm. in the United States compared to the 1% in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. That is a vast difference. But to even be working class in the United States compared to being working class in certain other countries in the world, there is such 
a drastic difference in access to anything. Sure, you might have a medical emergency and then be in debt for the rest of your life, Mm -hmm. which is terrible, absolutely, and is completely unjust system. But there's probably a hospital you can get to, probably. Not necessarily, but probably, right? Whereas some places, that's not even possible. And there's the fear of people in lower classes taking your jobs, you know, Mm. that can be manifest in arguments against immigration or globalism or all sorts of other kinds of things. But our clear anxieties that exist, even though those anxieties, again, are, are putting working class Americans against other working class people rather than against the people who are actually benefiting from the competition. <laughs> right. And the fact that Mrs. Malark in a place of being oppressed by the system wouldn't want to give something like burnt bread mm-hmm. to someone else. Even though they cannot sell it, they weren't even going to eat it. I mean, I guess they, it was supposed to go to the animals, mm-hmm. right? But the stinginess that that can come with distancing yourselves from other people. And the perspective that it's audacious for these starving people to come looking for scraps in the trash. Like they are doing something awful when Mm -hmm. they're just trying to survive. Yeah. It, It shows a complete lack of empathy for their position. Yeah, absolutely. Which we definitely also see in many people around the world, regardless (laughs) of where they fit in the class structure. Totally, yeah. But let's move into our analysis proper. So what character did you bring to talk about? So this is not going to be a surprise to you that I want to talk about Sejanus. It is not a surprise at all, no. (laughs) I mean, there's just too much here. I mean, he's... he's, (laughs) An amazing character, but a perfect character to discuss class implications for. Yeah, because he has a really interesting position when Mm -hmm. it comes to class because he went from district to capital, but not just district. He went from district two to the capital. And we know that district two probably was already in a better position than a place like district 12 or 11 would have been. Yeah, definitely. And it's a fascinating situation because I could imagine there would be a ton of culture shock going from the district to the capital and then your parents trying to kind of showcase the wealth that they have earned Mm -hmm. um, through clothes and their AVOXs and big houses and things like that that it sounds like they didn't have in District 2 because their wealth came from the war. It was only because of the war efforts that they got rich. But I I think that... um, it's still clear that he would have started in a higher socioeconomic place than Katniss would have because his family at least had enough money that they could have invested in a business that boomed during the war. Mm. Whereas Katniss's family never would have even had the capital to invest in something like that, right? Yeah. So there is a a stark difference, and, and I think part of that, shows that you know he didn't want to move and he didn't really want the privileges that came with the wealth that they got and it it was a point of contention you know in their family 
But I think I can kind of relate to that privilege too because I grew up middle class and had the privilege to not grasp for wealth, you Mm -hmm. know? Wealth doesn't mean the same to me as it it would have to someone like my mother who grew up in a much more uh, a working class situation. And so we've grown to conceptualize wealth and possessions and things very differently. And sure, people, no matter what background they come from, can reject capitalism and Mm -hmm. critique the system and not have accumulation of wealth or success or these things as a goal. I don't know how common it is in the United States. I, I really don't know. Yeah, but certainly the people who were sitting around with Marx and Engels in coffee shops talking about theoretical communism and the ri- ultimate rise of the working class were not working class folks. <laughs> <laughs> what? The working class folks can't just sit around about in coffee shops talking about <laughs> theoretical, philosophical, and political ideology? No, usually not. They're usually working. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the name comes from, I see. Yes. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I think it's interesting because he has this very contentious relationship with his family's perspective on class and wealth and other people's perspective on those things as well. Mm. And you see that he's frustrated that his father uses the wealth to kind of bribe away consequences to a certain degree, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't able to get him out of any consequences, um, which is how he ended up in District 12, but to some degree he could. And at the same time, he he just doesn't fit anywhere anymore. Yeah. Because the capital does not accept him as a capital citizen because he came from the district so it doesn't matter that he has more wealth than a lot of them do at the time like literally no kid befriended him for like six or seven or more years of him being there he thought Coriolanus was his best friend I know because he was the only person that was like semi decent to him sometimes he just wouldn't laugh when other people would bully him <laughs> Or he said, like, you can sit in a chair next to me. <laughs> like, that's like, literally the bar for him. Yeah. yeah, he was completely ostracized. And yet, then when he finally has the chance to interact with his childhood friend slash crush, let's be real, um, Marcus won't accept that either mm. because he sees him and their family as a sellout, as, like, his family profited off of what happened and now he's just a capital person you know to he is a mentor in these games exactly which he hates and he doesn't want to be but yeah he just he can't fit anywhere yet i think you see that like he really can't relate to the elite youths of the academy yeah and when he is in District 12 and isn't around them anymore, the people he automatically forms relationships with are from the seam. They're mm-hmm. other marginalized people. And in that position, sure, he has 
a privileged position where he has some money and he uses it to help and he has information and he uses it to help those causes because that's the only way that he can feel okay with himself but you also see that there are people that are happy to form relationships with him Mm -hmm. lucy gray some of her family and her ex like all of these people are happy to form a relationship with him because i think they don't see him as capital yeah so it's yeah he's he's just a mess all over the place and it's not his fault (laughs) um but it brings him into conflict and it brings him into isolation in a way that in the end was was so much more damaging than if he had just stayed in district two yeah and i think that him in contrast to snow is particularly interesting because snow is so entirely focused on status that he's also isolated from most people he has great relationships but no close relationships but when they go to district 12 Snow still isn't able to build those relationships because he's still so focused on status. He can't leave the capital behind, the kind of culture of the capital. He never would want to. Exactly. Yeah. Where Sejanus, he never had that as a priority. And so he can actually build relationships outside of the class system better than he can within it. Mm-hmm. Snow can't leave the class system or he doesn't want to leave the class system because he believes that First off, a hierarchy is necessary. And second off, he needs to be at the top of that hierarchy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. Until the age of nine-ish, he was taught that he was better than mm-hmm. everyone else around. And Sejanus did not have that. At probably around the same age, he got a bunch of wealth and he got a bunch more privileges than he originally had but he still kind of both of them had the roots of their childhood upbringing in their sense of entitlement and in their like own sense of self where you never get the impression that Sejanus thinks he's better than anyone yeah he is better than everyone (laughs) but he doesn't think so whereas Snow literally thinks he's better than everyone and he is the worst yes and the only way that he got his status and actual economic class back is through exploiting Sejanus's family totally yeah yeah Sejanus is is a great character and his navigating between different kind of class structures I think is also a good example of intersectionality where class isn't just about who has the most wealth but it has to also intersect with concepts beyond that of gender and race and here a kind of equivalent of nationality of whether you're capital or district all those go into these things and in ways that aren't cut and dry Mm -hmm. yeah very interesting well what about you what's your plot point I want to talk about tesserae okay Mm mm-hmm which are, of course, the rations of grain and oil that children can take out a year's worth for themselves and any member of their family in exchange for another submission into the drawing for the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. And it's made very clear through Katniss and Gail's experience that most of the children in District 12, certainly all of those in the seam, have to deal with this in some way. 
It doesn't necessarily mean that every child does it because, like Katniss and Gale do, some children choose to take it out for the rest of their family as well, where mm -hmm. Gale was putting his name in six times a year to get enough for everyone in his family. But I think that this is an interesting element because, for one, it, it's why the games are called The Hunger Games, because the drawing has to do so much with people trying to survive by submitting their names into it. Um, I would say that's at least one of the reasons why The Hunger Games gets its its name. But it also shows how The Hunger Games are inherently classist. That the games prey on the poor in a more direct way than they do other classes. Because the poor are more likely to compete, their families are thus more targeted by the games. They are more affected by it, they are going to be more at danger of participating or having a child participate. And those are things that aren't 100%, obviously, someone like PETA, who probably does not take Tesserae out each year, still can get called. Mm -hmm. But you can look at, for example, the conversation that Gale and Katniss have with Madge before the first Hunger Games, where Gale mentions that their experiences are going to be very different because Madge was only put in once a year, and Gale's been put in over 40 times by that point. And so... There's, yeah, a difference in that engagement with the games and the danger that it comes with and with the extent to which the participation in the games is directly tied into someone's ability to survive. Their ability to not starve to death comes with a direct understanding that you are increasing your chance of being selected to go into the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which means those who have less wealth and resources have so much more stress. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just the stress of starvation always there. Right. And not only stress, but I could imagine guilt mm -hmm. and all sorts of regret and, you know, everything as your kids go put their name in more times. Or, you know, this creepy manipulative way of probably trying to force people to have more kids mm -hmm. because if you don't have the kids to get the tesserae then tesserae then like then what you just starve and so yeah it's it's a big mess it is and, and you're absolutely right this makes it so that there is a increased reason for people to have children and that's important considering i think many people would be like katniss and think why would i bring a child into this world i mean i would of course. i am <laughs> <laughs> and yet having this means that and have it not being offered to adults mm -hmm. shows that yeah having children can be a essential component in the survival of your family and yourself and I still wouldn't do it. Totally. Right? But some it's not always everyone's choice. And yeah. I'm sure they're not providing contraceptives <laughs> to anyone. No. And and that's the thing is I'm, I'm sure that there's an element of capital policy that wants more children to be born in the districts. Mm -hmm. In part because they're a labor source. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mainly because they're a labor yes. source. But also I think because it shows the centrality of the games to the culture of mm -hmm. the capital and districts, to the way that their society is run, that you need to have children to survive because you need to 
put yourself at risk for public death and execution, essentially, in order to increase your chances of survival. Yeah, which it used to be the case. Oh, know? yeah. I mean, children as a labor force is... Always been there, right? Totally. With, and I would argue is still there. Yeah. <laughs> Even if um, governments like to not talk about it and just let entertainment have all of these stories about family and births and, you know, all of this stuff to to feed you this narrative that this is what life is about or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, It was not very long ago that, yeah, having children was a way for you to be able to have more people to put to work at young ages. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Whether it's for your own family's survival or because the Roman Empire wants soldiers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think that the Tesserae are a really compelling metaphor for class in this in this world. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it reminds me of, you know, what studies have shown and what, what common sense should show to be true, which is that it is very expensive to be poor. Yes. That when you don't have a lot of resources, you have less access to the things that you need to survive mm -hmm. and thus you have to go to payday lenders or whatever with these astronomical interest rates and mm -hmm. just messes of things that i didn't even really know anything about because i've had the privilege to never have to use those yeah yeah so, you you go buy a, a cotton t-shirt that rips in a month but that just means you have to buy another one, but you couldn't afford a really nice one or a really nice jacket mm -hmm. beforehand, so you just have to keep buying it. Yeah, yeah. All of these, I think, are good examples, and, and the Tesserae are a, a good metaphor for that, of it is even more dangerous for you to be poor than it is for you to be marginally less poor <laughs> or middle class or, or upper working class, the kind of way PETA would be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, that's that's what I had for my plot. So why don't we move into our compelling questions? Great. So my question for you is where is class shown to intersect with other aspects of society in Penham? Interesting. When thinking about race um, or nationality, it, it, those are difficult concepts. And this obviously is not our race in Hunger Games episode, but... I think that race is only occasionally explicitly dealt with, um, but there's still a lot of ways that it can be engaged with in the narrative of the Hunger Games. Yeah, um, I, mean, I would say that I think that there is race classism or class racism, mm -hmm. right? With people from the seam all having dark hair, gray eyes, mm -hmm. olive skin, right? I mean, not Katniss's mom and sister because they didn't come, you know, because the mom yeah. didn't come from the same one, the Kobe. Of course. Yes. <laughs> Definitely the Kobe. But one of the things that, that for me I find really fascinating is how language can be used as a way of marking identity and belonging. Um, and specifically the capital's tendency to use Latin and Latin style names in their culture. Is, is that pretentious? It's extremely pretentious. <laughs> but I find it really, really compelling because if Pan Am is a post-American dystopia, mm -hmm. there aren't a ton of Latin names in our culture. And so something has to have changed from now 
you know, through the whatever apocalypse occurs and then the foundation of Panem. And all that happens well before even the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And so there is a purposeful and intentional cultural shift that starts to uplift these Latin names and and titles to hearken back to ancient Rome and to this idea of an empire with even the name Panem coming from Panem and circuses or whatever, bread and circuses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that that's an interesting element where we see class claimed through language at times, Mm -hmm. where even Sejanus seems to have more of a Latin style name, but Plinth is Mm -hmm. a district name. Totally. So... Yeah, I would not be surprised if his father named him that very specifically because, yeah, somehow they had enough wealth and resources Mm -hmm. to make money off of this war. Even if he couldn't dream of moving to the capital at some Mm -hmm. point, it was a way to try to claim an upper class status within District 2. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that language is an interesting element that that intersects for sure. I would also say gender particularly from what we see Mm -hmm. in The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, where Tigris is also a snow. She's older than Coriolanus, and yet her life is really about uplifting his and about giving him the resources and opportunities to succeed, even though she is shown to be a highly competent and capable person. Well, and when they don't have enough food and when they're starving, she's the one who is exploited. Mm -hmm. She's the one who has to, yeah, have this violence done to her body so that Coriolanus is able to, like, eat food. Exactly. Which, I mean, of course, like, not to say you should let your young cousin starve or something, but... No, I... I, But it's gendered still. Yes, exactly. It means that she is interacting with both her, I think, upper class position of needing to support the heir of the Snow family or whatever, and the lower class position of not having money in a gendered way, in a way that is different because she is female. Mm-hmm. Well, and obviously, Lucy Gray, we see that with two. Yes. We have other, other in, in passing, noted uh, Katniss notes, other girls in District 12 who, yeah, for piece of food would have to be sexually exploited by the head peacekeeper. Yeah. Right? And even in some of the, the things that Snow says about marriage, I think those also show how political marriages are still ones that, at least in his case, are meant to provide greater status for the husband. And the wife is really just essentially a a traditional contract between families more than anything. Mm -hmm. Although not to say, not on your point, I was thinking what we were just talking about before, like, not to say that there wouldn't be boys of course impoverished boys also sexually exploited yes absolutely i mean there there very well would be absolutely so yeah those are the things that come to mind most immediately what else were you thinking i was also thinking about legal system ideas we don't exactly see how that would play out but an idea of quote-unquote breaking laws um with something like the hob Mm. there are people there who are there out of necessity like Katniss and Gale 
who are selling games so that they have enough food to feed their family. Because the Tesserae also don't guarantee that you'll be able to survive. Well, and even so, it's just grain. Like, that is nutritionally deficient. Yes, exactly. Versus people like the peacekeepers who are there just because, you know, they want to be there. Because they like the variety or because they can get alcohol there or something like that. Um, and so if anything is going to happen, who are the people who are going to get caught? Mm-hmm. And I would say prosecuted, but it's not prosecuted. <laughs> it's whipped or killed uh, because they aren't going to imprison people because they wouldn't spend resources on that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think those things definitely intersect in, in ways that they do in our world as well. I also, I was kind of thinking about like, job prestige in relating to the districts because there are those for example in district 11 who are growing food which is vastly more important than those working in tech Mm -hmm. in district 3 but the world doesn't see it that way right the districts are numbered and they're numbered in a specific way and it seems like to some degree people are taken care of in in certain ways that's partially why you have the careers Mm -hmm. coming from not from three but one two and four and then but you also you have three who they're able to work indoors and they're able to like bd and virus learn and they I, i guarantee they have a better education than rue did yeah and so that's definitely something we see in our world someone like janitors or people who collect trash these are like vital jobs that are absolutely necessary Mm -hmm. for all sorts of reasons including public health right yeah but hedge fund manager somehow that has way more prestige even though to the life and health of people and communities and even just the bare necessities of the nation running like they're not important you know um and so yeah i i think we see that there definitely yeah absolutely but what about your question for me so we discussed this a little bit in contrast with sejanus in your section on his character but i was wondering how you think having no money as he grew up, impacted Snow's character? I don't know. That's a hard one because they still had money in formative years. Mm -hmm. And then they didn't during the war, but almost no one did Mm -hmm. in the capital during the war. Um, Or, I mean, they had assets, but they didn't have food. Right. And their assets didn't matter because they couldn't trade nice people pieces of art and furniture to the districts for in exchange for food because they wouldn't give any so their assets didn't help them in any way but they still lived in a mansion Mm -hmm. they still had shelter and they still had the narrative snowlands on top they still knew what life was and how they were respected in the capital their family was prior to the war and even after the war he's able to create and maintain the facade that they have enough 
that they aren't just having cabbage soup multiple mm-hmm. days and, and things like that. In large part because of the skill of Tigress. <laughs> Not really because Snow can do anything except <laughs> talk. Um, but he still was going to the academy. He still had access to top education. He could still speak and everybody would know Mm -hmm. that he was well-educated. And so I think him having that stint of time where he didn't have enough, instead of it resulting in him having compassion for other people who don't have enough, it resulted in him just being like, I need to get it back because I should have never lost it. Mm -hmm. And these other people made me lose it. And they should be punished for that. And I deserve this. I always deserved it. And they took it from me. But they won't win in the end. So I think it made him hate the districts more. Hmm. I think he hated the fact that he could relate to them in any way. That if he actually looked at himself and the reality of what he was eating and he was probably thin in some ways he was probably malnourished you know and things like that like if he looked at that and saw ways that he could relate to people in the districts and could understand why they would have revolted in the first place like it could have been completely different but no he looked at it and he was angry that he could relate to them in any way That's my opinion, at least. That's fascinating. It's almost like he became vindictive because Mm -hmm. of his entitlement. I think he would have been entitled either way. Mm -hmm. But the entitlement with the lack of what he feels entitled to, yeah, makes him lash out in ways that maybe he wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. That's my thing is I think that there are some elements that he would have had. He would have had no matter what. Mm -hmm. He would have been ambitious no matter what. (laughs) Yes. It didn't make him more ambitious. It did perhaps help instill in him different tools and in, in how he would try to achieve that ambition. He, I think, becomes more resourceful. He, he's crafty. He's manipulative, certainly. <laughs> but that also, in some ways, isolates him. Um, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but I, I do think it was really impactful because we discussed during our miniseries on the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes how when they get the turkey and they want to celebrate, the only person they can invite over is their black market fence like they can't (laughs) he can't bring over any friends because it would show them the poverty that he lives in it would break the facade and that isolation i think is itself really impactful for his character because it means that the first time he thinks he falls in love is with lucy gray and it's shown through their narrative that it wasn't real love no and that he has very, very difficult times forging real connections with people. Mm-hmm. Particularly because he puts his ambition above any relationship. But I think also he probably doesn't have a lot of practice with it. Well, it's also interesting idea if those who have the most privilege and wealth in a nation have no sense of solidarity. Mm. You know, it's like they can have alignments they can have connections networks but they don't really need solidarity in the same way it can just be like about your own little nuclear family where or let's be honest their corporation (laughs) yes that's true 
people can be corporations now (laughs) so yes granted snow didn't even have that Mm -hmm. to his family as much as just to himself but you're able to be so much more individualistic than people who need to rely on their neighbors need to rely on their friends and family in ways yeah that those with wealth don't need to that's so true yeah and his pride and his shame of his situation made it so that he didn't try to rely on anyone if he had gone to sejanus and been like our family's not doing well and ma plinth would have been so happy to make him meatloaf sandwiches every day you know like <laughs> totally they they he could have just had just move community. in with us you know absolutely like they... which is essentially what they do after after sejanus mm, yeah. dies and he could have had that community earlier but he refused it because mm-hmm. he was so enraptured with yeah that high class individualism yeah yeah very interesting yeah well should we move into our missed opportunities that sounds like a great idea why don't you go first so yeah i'm wondering about and i do feel a bit that it's missing how district 12 reacted to katniss and her family moving to victor's village Mm, yeah yeah i just i don't know I, i just wonder like were reactions from the scene where they lived different than reactions from the rest of district 12 um how would people who lived closest to victor's village feel about people from the seam moving in there Mm, you know yeah and you know how did katniss getting hamish to employ gail's mom hazel you know how did that look to the rest of district 12 because it's like oh so because you're friends with this family then they get the benefit of you getting them a job you know but like why didn't katniss and Peta also employ some starving families in the scene and i could imagine some things it's like they just they were so traumatized they didn't want to be around any other people they didn't trust anyone and and different things but i just i really wonder what the reactions thoughts bitterness celebration different people and different groups in the district would have felt as they were disadvantaged before and now they are not now they are the top of the district yeah that that also makes me think of if you know, going back to our quote, if there was any pushback or judgment about the love story between Katniss and Peta. Mm-hmm. Peta had friends who were also town kids. Were they surprised that he was in love with a scene girl? What did his mom have to say? Were there scene people who were like, uh, what about Gail for Katniss? They make, I think, a couple of comments about how it's basically an open secret that the romance was largely made up a lot of people yeah suspect it but and it's probably confirmed by their interactions i'm sure (laughs) but those kinds of rumors are also going to to be out there and Mm -hmm. discussed and so yeah i think that's a really interesting point that we don't see the ripples of how district 12 reacts to everything that happens with them when the last time they would have been able to do that was 24 years beforehand with Hamish and so it's like I could see people celebrating it like Mm -hmm. you're finally someone and actually both of our our victors came back but 
I mean, if I was selling things in the hob, I would be a little bitter if Katniss is coming in there with game that she's, like, selling to people when it's like, mm. you don't need the money. I mean, like, yes, she's helping those small businesses because, like, Gracie say, like, makes that yeah. meat into something else that she's selling. But, like, I would just be like, why are you not just, like, giving this to everyone? And, you know, Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. It, it would be complicated. And then on the other hand, you know, would there be frustration of her being like one of the peacekeepers and throwing money around because she doesn't need it, because she has this mm-hmm. privileged position? There's such a huge, abrupt class shift for her, especially, but also for PETA, that, yeah, what what does that bring in changes to relationships or effects on relationships? Yeah, totally. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. Well, what's your missed opportunity? I think that it's a missed opportunity that we don't see any kind of ideological bent in District 13 in regards to their rebellion, because mm-hmm. they they have a pretty egalitarian system. One in which people are all treated the same, have the same expectations. Um, No one has kind of elevated status outside of if they are a commander, but not a social status. It's more of a a kind of firm hierarchy, and it doesn't come with comforts. It doesn't come with a lot of the privileges that often can come with those kinds of real class differences. But we don't see any idea that that would continue after the war it seems like that egalitarian system they have is not about an ideal behind it but more just about necessity it is the situation they're in they have access to very few resources they have to be very careful and so people all have to be doing what's expected of them contributing not taking too many resources and everything has to be very very cleanly rationed and that leads to this egalitarianness rather than any kind of ideology. I mean, I don't know. Do you, I'm not sure if that's true or not. That's the thing. I'm not sure. Mm, that's, okay. that's how it's presented to us. We don't see anyone in District 13 having any kind of, of yeah, larger ideology behind that says the capital leads to these class hierarchies, these differences that are inherently unequal and exploitative. No one's saying anything like that. Yeah. Maybe someone is saying that in District 13, but that's not how it's being presented. And the war in my opinion, gets presented more as a rebellion than a revolution. It's not about necessarily overthrowing the system. It's not a communist revolution. Certainly not that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's about toppling the regime for the awful practices that they have. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that's necessarily going to mean that there aren't any new hierarchies and classes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that would be very interesting. Like, that is a good reason mm-hmm. <laughs> right to be like the, the resources in Panem have been so mismanaged and so disproportionately distributed that we need to topple this so that we can do everything evenly which maybe yeah maybe that was it I, I cannot imagine because it was 75 years culture the culture that they created and the the structures they created in district 13 are now part of their ideologies Mm -hmm. that maybe a lot of them aren't even aware that they have because that's already been (laughs) 
so many years, yeah. so many decades. And so so I cannot imagine that Coin would just be like, yay, now I'll be the leader of Panem and things will just stay the same. Because like she didn't even want to have a wedding, you know? <laughs> so I think she would have restructured a ton of things. I think the biggest problem was just her willingness to still use the games, to still use cruelty as a means to an end was the problem. But the equality, the no, you can't eat more than you need because that means somebody else is not getting enough. Mm -hmm. I think that's good and and I would have supported that. Yeah. Yeah. So for me this is this really is a missed opportunity. This is mm-hmm. something that, that they could have grappled with really interestingly. And they still leave room for these kinds of possibilities and discussions and hypotheticals, but I just wish that they had, had engaged with it more explicitly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's move into our takeaways. Now my takeaway is just that I want there have to have been like, not bogs, but like another person who had some amount of authority in district 13 that like they would have taken over after Mm -hmm. yeah that would have been really or just an economic advisor in those Mm -hmm. meetings or or something who's having that that perspective yeah i mean obviously in the end it it was more about aftermath it was Mm -hmm. more about trauma surviving living with that so that wasn't really the focus but yes it would have been interesting <laughs> <laughs> but nerds like me want to want to read it <laughs> uh, yeah but yeah i mean other than that i think that yeah there's there's a lot of stuff with class in the books i mean so much of the conflict and the problems are created by class and exploitation yeah. of other people who don't have enough and you still always want to take more from them which is one of the glaring problems of capitalism yeah i think my takeaway i was just thinking (laughs) capitalism's bad (laughs) um (laughs) yes but i appreciate a pop culture phenomenon like this like the hunger games that has these challenges to the excesses of capitalism and to the system that we live in um, Mm -hmm. because I don't think those exist very often and in something that became that popular exactly definitely not I would love to read a Marxist critique of the Hunger Games Mm -hmm. um, because I'm sure it would be fascinating Um, I'm in in no way knowledgeable enough to do that myself but this conversation makes me think okay sure (laughs) just add it to the pile yeah (laughs) Um, this conversation has definitely made me has really made clear how much there is to dig into mm-hmm. in regards to class there and beyond just a, there are social hierarchies, but really looking into the economics of how this system brings interesting metaphors to our own world. And really, I mean, I would say Lord of the Rings has a little bit of that, at least with industrialization mm-hmm. being critiqued, but... Other than that, it's the only property that we've covered that does a critique like this in terms of class, I think. Yeah, Harry's just a rich kid. <laughs> like, I mean... Also yeah. an orphan. I mean, there's stuff <laughs> but... to dig into with Harry Potter, but like not a, a systemic critique exactly, yeah. of showing the problems that we face here in just a more clearly drawn out way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
good on you, Suzanne Collins, for getting that in. Yeah. Hopefully people are discussing it in high schools <laughs> near you. I bet they aren't. <laughs> I mean, no, sometimes they do read them, but... I no, I meant discussing, like, Capitalism. class and, no. yeah, these kinds of implications. Yeah. Maybe they hope. are. I'm sure there's some great high school teachers out there who are probably trying to bring these things in, but we need capitalism. More. <laughs> but we're still a wildly exactly. capitalistic country, so. Yes. Well, can you bring up what we'll be discussing next week? Yeah, so next week we are returning to Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. And we are going to be looking at the series through the theme of play. Ooh, that'll be fun. <laughs> yes, that'll be adorable. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can go to patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become a supporter of the show to help keep it sustainable and get you access to all sorts of fun extra content. We'd also appreciate it if you left us a review wherever you find your podcasts and told a friend about the show. Yeah. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.